This is the ICO Alert Podcast. Welcome to the ICO Alert Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Finch, COO and co-founder of ICO Alert. And today I'm sitting alongside Peter Key. What what's your podcast, Mr. Key again? It's K. Hey, oh my goodness. Did I do that on purpose? I may have. I'm not sure. And uh, so the podcast is Bitkinstein's Table. It runs every Thursday. We talk about things like history, philosophy, economics, and how they apply to crypto trading and to the future we want to build with blockchain products. It's a great ride with history, stories, philosophy, music, uh, crypto. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, let me tell you, if you haven't listened to that yet, uh, take a listen. It's not like any other podcast that we do. So check that one out. Check out Corporate Crypto, our roundtable. It's much more to offer than just the interviews that we do. Uh, so as you're sitting there, whether this is your first or third or 10th time listening to our podcast, you might ask, what is ICO Alert, right? Well, ICO Alert is your discovery engine for all new ICO offerings on the market. We list roughly 350 ICOs on average every month and have a large full-time team of passionate cryptocurrency enthusiasts here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the United States. So whether you're a retail investor or credit investor, whether you run a small or large hedge fund, a private equity firm, or if you want to run one of those, it's our goal to help educate you, connect you with all of these awesome new projects and show you all of the excitement that exists within the ICO and cryptocurrency space today. If you want to learn more, if you think there are some synergies between your firm and ICO Alert, feel free to connect with us at team at icoalert.com, or you can tweet us at the username ICO Alert. If you have questions for me, feel free to reach out on Twitter at thatfinchguy. Pete, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter and Medium as Bitkenstein. Find him at Bitkenstein. And uh, of course, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice or any other piece of advice. Our guest today was the co-founder of IOST, which is a new protocol in the cryptocurrency space, newer, I guess. Uh, it's been gaining a lot of traction lately, uh, essentially as an alternative to Ethereum or other protocols like an EOS or Tezos or uh, whatever. There's a lot out there right now. It, it, it's being seen as an alternative to those that have already launched or are planning to launch. IOST uses what they call proof of believability, or as Jimmy references, POB. Uh, he gets into that in the podcast along with a, a ton of other things. Uh, but essentially, proof of believability allows your actions to determine your block rewards kind of at a very high level. Uh, you know, it, it's your, your block rewards aren't rewarded based on how many tokens you stake or, you know, whether or not you know the founder or anything there that could, uh, you know, decouple the, the, the nice decentralization that everyone's aiming to implement within their protocol. So there's a ton of info in here. The podcast is super fast paced. Don't feel bad if you've got to stop and rewind, but please certainly listen to the whole thing. Uh, it's jam packed with great info, great perspective from Jimmy, you know, somebody who's previously sold a business for many, many millions of dollars. And, uh, you know, he brings a very refreshing, very intuitive, uh, perspective on the space, introducing his project and a lot more. So certainly enjoy. Well, thanks a lot uh, for the time here, Jimmy. Me and Pete are super excited to do this podcast with you. 
first off, you know, just for our listeners, how, uh, you know, who are you? How did you get started with IOST? You know, what, what's your background? All that fun stuff. <laughs> okay. So that's a long story. Um, so uh, I was born in Beijing. I uh, went to U.S. for college. Uh, started my first business when I was in college and sold it for $40 million uh, after I graduated. Then, wow. uh, you know, work on multiple things. Uh, we basically sold like two other business. Then uh, we got back to Asia in 2017. Um, but the first time we actually got into the crypto world was actually in 2013. Uh, when I was in college back then, my college professor, there was this like Turkish professor, uh, his name is Chingas, Professor Chingas. He brought Bitcoin to mm-hmm. my world and he was saying, you know, back then really nobody cares about blockchain, right? People were talking about Bitcoin simply because this is like by far the first asset that's convenient to carry and it's like not profitable. Right. Meaning that the government or anyone mm-hmm. can just take it away like like, you know, money saving your bank account. It's like actually something owned by you personally. Right. And at the same time that it's like very, very, very convenient to carry. It's like I like physical gold or, you know, shells. Right. It's like very convenient to carry. Although it's like not recommended, but if you guys remember your private key, you can carry like a billion dollar around just in your mind. Right. So that's like brilliant. So basically, yeah, this is like the first time digital so you can't really double spend a digital asset, right? So digital assets be, mm-hmm. becomes valuable. So we, we've got some Bitcoin uh, in 2013. We've actually got, you know, this amount of Bitcoins, not like a huge amount of them, but this amount of them. Uh, we'll be holding to today. Uh, that's like the first time we've heard of, you know, anything that's, you know, close to blockchain. The actual word of blockchain um, comes to us in the year of 2014, I think, end of 2014. Uh, that was the time where I think Vitalik was going to start Ethereum, and in 2015, after Ethereum was launched, uh, we've got some, you know, Ethereum as well. Nobody actually believed in Ethereum back then because you know people were very skeptical mm-hmm. about you know what blockchain can actually do, right? People, like 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 Vitalik was actually never very cl- like crystal clear about what exactly you know blockchain or Ethereum can do for like other industries other than you know cryptocurrencies. Back then he you know, through a lot of examples like like insurance or, you know, some organizations. Like those are examples that are like really high level examples. It's like for like normal people, like it's really hard to comprehend. So um, we were skeptical too, right? But we're thinking that, you know, this is like something really exciting and we should give it a try and actually see what's going on. Um, but the problem is that the more we look into Ethereum, you know, especially in 2016 after the DAO attack, uh, the more we realized that, you know, there are a lot of improvements can be made on top of Ethereum that, you know, Bitcoin as a store of value, it actually doesn't need to scale, right? As, as a store of value, it's like, it's like physical gold. Like, you don't have to transfer gold, you know, like a million times a second, things like that, right? Like physical gold. But um, it's like the same mm-hmm. thing for Bitcoin. Like, I think Bitcoin as a store of value is not exactly a day-to-day currency. It's not an operating system like Ethereum. Bitcoin really doesn't need to scale that much. Uh, unlike, unlike, unlike Ethereum, on the other side, though, it's like, you know, if you're building an operating system, like if you're building macOS, you're building Windows, you're building Android, you're building iOS, you really, really have to scale. Like you are thinking of, you know, having other developers building things on top of your stuff, uh, you know, especially if they're sharing the same bandwidth right now. You can't really be just only having like 20 transactions per second, a very high transaction fees. Uh, a lot of people know that already, so we're not going to talk too much about it. But, you know, that's basically how we were thinking, you know, we're going to have to build something that's more developer friendly, that's more, you know, scalable. So we can actually support, you know, actual use case. Right now, like, 
you know, when we talk about blockchain, a lot of people be like, hey, you know, you guys have been talking about this every single day. How come I don't see anything? Like, you know, basically, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not really using any product, right? Like, the only product I see that's in blockchain right now are a bunch of Ponzi games. They're either buying cats or dogs or <laughs> yeah. things like that. But, but, but <laughs> look, like, like CryptoKita obviously is like a, it's like some kind of revolutionary stuff because like in theory it's like the first the app that's actually used by a lot of people. But you know, still, so it means all of these games they're 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 more like a Ponzi scheme, right? Like you're basically buying something that's meaningless and you know thinking of someone else or, or, or buy a cartoon kite from you. But so <laughs> uh, basically, you know, uh, we we, we want to build something that's actually meaningful, right? Uh, we want to build like a lot of protocols or the apps on top of ours here where you know those are actually in people's like daily lives. It's like when you're actually using internet product, when you're using Google, when you're using you know Facebook, you don't have to understand how TCPIP works, how internet works, right? right? You just use the product, you just enjoy the benefit that that that, that, that I mean that internet brings. So you know it, it's going to be the same thing here in the future, right? Like you don't have to like download MetaMask or have all this complicated shit set up to use like a product that's, that's, you know, on top of blockchain. It's not supposed to be like that, right? It's not supposed to be slow, it's supposed to be smooth. So that's the goal for LSD. You know, we actually wanna launch something that's meaningful, uh, launch something that's good enough, right? Gotcha, so so all in all, just to kind of sum it up, you guys are looking for something that, number one, is scalable, right? So that when that CryptoKitties or, or whatever it is that you all are developing or somebody else is developing, when that comes along, and it starts to gain adoption, it can continue to gain adoption and, and won't really kind of, you know, plateau because of transaction speeds. That's the, the first thing. Um, that, as you said, has been a huge topic in the space for, uh, you know, what seems like forever now, where it, it's kind of as we call it on the podcast and internally in the office, the infrastructure stage of, of cryptocurrency right yep. now. Um, and then the other part is your focus is on usability and, and developer relations and, and things like this, yep. right? Does that make yep. sense? Okay. So, nice. Yep. So h- how have you guys kind of attacked that so far, knowing what you know and, and seeing previous examples from Bitcoin and Ethereum and, you know, maybe some of the other uh, others that have launched this year, like an EOS or, or Tezos or some of these other yeah, ones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, in, in short, I think in one sentence, we've been thinking about this all the time. Like, how would you you know, talk about LST in like one sentence. Um, it's like kind of unfair to, you know, compared to Ethereum right now in terms of scalability because, you know, first of all, I mean, that's like not exactly what they're good at right now. Uh, you know, Ethereum as a network is like fully decentralized, but scalability part, everyone knows there's a problem with that. And, and everyone knows there's like a problem with their transaction fees and whatsoever. So it's like, say we're, 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 say we're, we're, we're like a better Ethereum because of scalability is like really, really unfair argument here. So I guess what we're trying to build here is a more decentralized, more dev-friendly, more developer-friendly type of EOS, right? I say EOS not because we're gonna have like super nodes and things like that, but EOS is basically the only one uh, I would say that's usable right now based on you know what we have in the current world. Uh, although there are a lot of you know arguments or reputation issues regarding their ICOs or whatever, they raise a huge amount of money, but right. we put all of that aside. Let's talk about technology alone. Uh, you know, although I don't, I don't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of DPoS, right? I think we're building something better. But in terms of like scalability and usability today, 
Um, EOS is, I think, is one of the best transitioning product. I think it's a product that's actually usable. You see, like a lot of this um, this project, they have their mainnet launch, right? Um, like in general, they have like multiple issues. Number one is like they're not usable. There were a lot of projects, even their top ten projects, they're not usable, right? Just try to develop something on top of a UUC. It's like it's like not not a usable product. Like a lot of them, even they're famous, they still have their their nodes hosted on their own server. It's mm -hmm. basically a joke. I mean, I don't want to call them a scam. It's, it's, just, it's just what they're doing right now is completely meaningless, right? And on the other side, you know, we have projects like EOS or whatever. Uh, and and, I, and I, I do think that, you know, um, uh, although the reputation issue whatsoever, the, the, the thing they're doing right now um, in terms of scalability or usability is, is, is usable, right? If you want to deploy something on top of EOS, um, you know, as I actually use it right now, although they just launched their thing, it's not really stable yet, but I think give it time, it's going to be usable, right? The third issue mm -hmm. is like, in general, uh, people are still trying to figure out the real use case for blockchain right now. That's why even for, for US, like for Ethereum, there's scalability issue whatsoever. But if you look at all of the apps that are launched on top of, say, uh, you know, US or Ethereum or whatsoever, you actually see that there is no user base. Right, there's like no user base. I've seen this um, this research on top of Ethereum. You know, despite their scalability issue, yep. the most like active the app on top or protocol, right? Even protocol, e e even we escalate to a level of protocol like Zerax or Mesogol or whatever. The most active ones on top of Ethereum right now. If you look at like a month period, because someday they have like spikes, right, in traffic. If you look like in like in, yep. in like 30 day or 90 day like time period. They have like less than like 5,000 daily active users on average, right? If you work on the internet product, you know this is like a, a tiny startup, right? It's like a, any tiny startup or like a random app you made in an app store can just easily surpass that. So um, that in short, you know, gives us like, like one type of information that all, all, although Ethereum or US or, or whatever, they have like a huge market cap, there's no user, right? Like there's like no use right. case, there's no GDP, there's no ecosystem. They have a a, a quote-unquote ecosystem, but 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 it's not a real one, right? Nobody's actually using it. So for us, you know, um, I, I I do understand. It's like most audience aren't exactly like super technical. So you know, te technology-wise, we are trying to build a more decentralized and developer-friendly US while you know maintaining the same performance like US, right? So that's what we're trying to do, and, and we're gonna be launching a product, uh, I think just in a few months right now, uh, we have the testnet ready uh, by you know last month already, so uh, it's gonna be launched, I mean, I, I mean the mana is coming in uh, uh, either you know by end of 2018 or beginning of 2019. And other than that, you know, we're also building some protocols on top of LSC, so um, there are multiple things we're doing in terms of the ecosystem, you know, we think that if you're building an operating system, like if you're, if you're building Windows or Android, you don't, like say like when you're buying Android phone, right? You don't get a blank phone, you know? You have like something built on top of it. Even of you're buying a computer, buying a laptop, you know? Right now you have to pay for like, you know, Microsoft Office, but you know, think about it, like like the only reason you're, you're using Windows is because of the software on top of it, not because of the operating system alone. So we, we're not exactly counting on just random developers from the community building things on top of us. Like we want them, obviously. So we're gonna have like bounty programs, things like that, to like encourage these people to do so. But in the meantime, we're also developing things on our own, right? We want to build Microsoft Office, uh, Internet Explorer, while we're shipping out our Windows system. So 
by the time you get iOS, okay. by the time you see the Mania Launch, you are going to get the protocols or the apps that are running on top of iOS T that are going to be used by a lot of people. So that's our goal here. And uh, we have like a lot of plans rolling up in terms of, you know, the apps or protocols. One of the, um, so two things, we're, actually three things we're doing here. Uh, one of them is called um, Theseus. So uh, if you visit Theseus.app, uh, you know, this is a, 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 an organization that we're incubating uh, together with Sequoia Capital, Genfine and Matrix, and a bunch of other VCs. So the only purpose for this organization or, you know, this, 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 this project is to basically develop, you know, the apps for iOS T. Um, they haven't updated the website in a while, but the uh, product is rolling out in, I think, a few months. Right now, it's, uh, it's built on top of the test net. It's going to be macro to the meta in the future. And we are rolling out actually multiple products uh, in terms of, you know, wallet or whatsoever, but also some other, like, real stuff for, like, you know, non-blockchain users or for, like, non-very-technical-savvy users to use. So that's for thesis. Nice. Okay, well, let's let's back up, not to cut you off, but let's back up just one sec. For those who uh, don't yeah. know, um, and I know Pete has a lot of questions surrounding this, yeah, yeah. but tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, proof of believability yeah. and, and essentially kind of how this works. And then I, I definitely want to get into uh, all the plans of you guys course, have for course, those applications. So in terms of proof of believability, okay, so we'll try to explain this in like a very straightforward uh so we'll compare this to POS and DPOS, which are the most two, uh, I would say, famous consensus protocol right now. Uh, we're not a big fan of POW for multiple reasons, because of the efficient issue, also the, uh, you know, the, the environmental friendly stuff. Uh, I do think in the future there will sure. be better protocols or there will be better consensus protocols uh, to, to, to like replace uh, you know, POW. I think DPOS right now, is, although there's decentralization uh, there, there's problem, but it's getting there. So anyway, uh, back, back to POB. Um, so think about this, right? So in a vanilla POS system, in a vanilla proof of stake system, uh, there's a there's a problem. Basically, there are actually two problems. One of them is scalability problem. So POS actually doesn't solve the scalability problem, right? In order to process things faster, you have two ways, right? Imagine you have like 100 students sitting sitting in the classroom, right? Right now it's slow because you know you're doing the same math question, right? Basically, you know Peter has to do it, then Tommy has to do it. Then basically everyone talks together mm. and figure out, make sure they've got the correct answer, then they move on. So people have this like misunderstanding that the more nodes you have in the Ethereum network, the faster you become. This is completely wrong, right? It's actually the opposite direction. If you only have like two nodes, it's going to be a ton faster, right? I mean, the whole reason this is so slow right now. It's like all of these nodes, they have to reach consensus on every single thing, right? So this is going to be slow. So that's one of the problems. It's basically a scalability problem. The other problem for Vanilla POS is actually cost centralization problem as well. So uh, the proof of stake system, we, if we translate that in like a human language, it means that you know uh, the more money you have, the more powerful you are, right? There are a lot of mechanisms trying to figure out, like like some people said, a threshold or whatever. But in, but in general, the more money you have, the more powerful you become. Well, this obviously sounds very problematic. Okay, just by by the literal meaning of it, it sounds very problematic. The network can be controlled or can be basically you know, dominated by a few you know, very powerful nodes and there potentially are legal, uh, sorry, there potentially are security issues or you know, some other risk getting introduced. So those are the two problems for proof of stake, right? Uh, and the problem for, uh, for DPoS, so delegated uh, proof of stake, means that you know, say for EOS, you only have 21 nodes, right? 
So instead of having like forty thousand dollars reaching consensus, we have twenty one right now. Obviously, it's faster. It's like we used to have one hundred kids in the classroom doing math question. Now we have two, right? Or we have, <laughs> and 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 not only we only have not only we have three. You know, we, we we used to have like a lot of you know elementary school kids, right? Now we kick them out and we bring in like three PhD to do a very simple math question. So they don't even need to talk. They just like look at each other. It's like, oh, all right. Right. Obviously, it's faster. That I mean, that's what supernodes are, right? They bring in better servers and bring in higher threshold. You have to have like all this complicated stuff to be qualified. And they even have like constitutions around. It's kind of ridiculous, to be honest. So there were a lot of centralization problems too. Like although they have like 21 supernodes, but I know that a lot of this like people you know, that are running the supernodes are controlled by the same entity, right? For example, like the U.S., that's, I mean, the U.S. supernodes, I mean, that's running in Europe, is actually controlled by an Asia guy. So it's, it's actually mm. kind of, so you actually see that there are easily kind of like four or five or a few entities that, that I mean, that's like controlling the whole thing. We're losing the point of building a blockchain product. If that's what we want, you know, Google solved the scalability issue by using single server set 15 years ago, right? So that's not what we want. So how would we try to be more decentralized and scalable, right? So we introduced this mm. concept called reputation on top of proof of stake, right? But you know, since we're building a, a decentralized thing, we I mean we can't be like having a leaderboard, having a centralized server. <laughs> I mean, you've got five points here, Jimmy, you have three. It doesn't work like yeah. that. We don't we don't want a constitution thing around it. I, I, I think it's very ridiculous. So we have a second layer of token on top of LST. It's called Servi, spelled as S-E-R-V-I. Uh, you can, Servi is basically, it's literally your reputation, right? It's just like we distribute your reputation in ways of, in, in, in terms of like token, right? So we'll give you token to represent your reputation. But Servi has three features, right? Number one is self-generated. Number two is not tradable. Number three is self-destructive. We'll go through them one by one, then we'll see how they solve the problem, right? Okay. So, um, Self-generated, okay. So in order to get surveyed, you have to do good things within the network, right? Verifying transactions, being a witness, do good things. In the real world, this is like, you can't just be rich, right? You have to do good things to the community. You have to, you know, you know, sometimes, you know, help a grandma or whatever, right? You have to do good things <laughs> to be actually yeah, you should anyway, right? Not everybody does, unfortunately, but yeah. So in the network, you have to be active. You have to be constantly doing good things. Number two is like it's not tradable, meaning that you can be like, hey, I've got some money here. I'm going to buy some reputation on Binance, right? Or, or I'm going to over-the-counter mm. buy something from, 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 from Tommy. You can do that. It's not tradable, right? And number three is self-destructive. So why this is awesome is because, you know, instead of, in, of you know, you know we, we talk about how this works you know, in a proof-of-stake system. The more money you have, the more, um, more powerful you are, right? Like more chance you're going to be selected to, to broadcast a block. So here, reputation rules, right? So the stake you have or the IOST you have matters as well. But on top of that, you have to be very active. We have this very complicated formula where we consider a lot of things you know, on top of it. And basically, the chance of you getting selected to broadcast a block is purely depends on how much reputation you have. Right, like reputation, you know, already takes consideration into you know your IOST or you know the amount of time through the network, uh, you know, while you're holding your IOST. Also, you know, the the uh, the server config you have, the transactions you're verifying. Uh, you know, are you active enough? Are you being a, a nice witness? Are you doing good things? 
So with all of these things combined, right, you have, say like Mac, you have 10 reputation points, you have 10 survey, right? Just give me an example here. Say I have five, okay. right? So you have a higher chance of getting selected to broadcast a blog. But it's self-destructive, sure. which is the brilliant part here. It's like, so people argue that this also causes centralization problem, right? Because if I'm in the network for, say, two years, right? And you just joined yesterday. How are you going to even compete with me, right? I'm like so famous for doing, for helping grandma already. So everyone knows I'm like a grandma mm -hmm. helper. So how are you going to compete with me? You're like a new guy here. So that's the brilliant part about this whole survey thing that is self-destructive. After you broadcast a few blocks, after you get rewarded a few times, the survey is gone, right? You have to start over. So on a longer time period, on a longer you know time epoch, you would actually see that everyone is at the same stage, right? Even you just joined the network, even Mike has a higher survey right now. You know that you know in the near future, say a day or so, you guys are competing on the same level, right? So all you have to do here is stick around, right. keep doing your thing, accumulating your thing. So essentially, if you know, let's say I uh, I'm following the project all the way up to mainnet or after mainnet or whatever, and I'm uh, all of my actions, right? My adoption of the platform, the things that I'm doing to contribute to IOST will go towards me getting rewarded by IOST. But if I if I stop because I find something else I'm contributing to, or uh, maybe I get a different job that doesn't allow me to do this anymore, or you know whatever, then that will fade. I won't be able to kind of kind of hold that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so, so, you know, so place. Um, it's more like after the mainnet launch, right? Because, because, so say like, say like the mainnet is launched right now, right? And you, 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 okay. you, you've got a server, and you want to be one of the nodes at IOST and make money because you know uh, we reward people for making money. Uh, sorry, for uh, for so we were we we, we, we yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah right. So we reward people for you know hosting hosting nodes, and they're gonna make money. Uh, basically, like the same thing for Ethereum or uh, US, right? So. Um, mm -hmm. After you have your server, say you put your server online, you're you're running your stuff, you have to be doing good things. Like you're you're so we have like multiple standards to decide that you know how how or how fast you're earning your survey, right? Like you're you have to be active. You can't be like, hey, I'm shutting it down, you know, or you're hosting like a very unstable thing, uh, you're, or, or or you're trying to do something sneaky about it, you know. So basically after you join the network as a node. You have to be working transactions. You have to be very active. You have to be very stable. You have to have your server config. All this stuff. This will help you to accumulate survey. But you know, um, after you get selected to broadcast the block, you get a reward. You say for for uh, say like ten hundred or or sorry, say for say like ten thousand hours right? Just give you an example here. Mm -hmm. After you get rewarded a few times, your survey is gone, right? So you have to start over and do good things again, and then you have a higher possibility of getting selected. So um, you. Because like this survey is like something theoretically it's like not tradable, right? So you can you can do this in like a proof of stake system. You can be like, hey, Mike, I think you're you're pretty powerful here. I'm taking your ethers away, right? Like I think you're you're kind of you know threading the network here. So uh, why don't you give I mm. the Ethereum back to me? It doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. You can't be taking away people's assets, right? But if you're having a second layer of reputation here, you know, in a way. You know, we, we made the network a lot fair, right? And in terms of scalability, that's the that's the best part as well. It's like we've been talking about, you know, uh, centralization whatsoever, but but how are you gonna how are you gonna scale? Right? Like we are a project that's working on scalability, like how is this different than proof of stake, how's it different than deposit, how are you gonna scale? So as I said, there are only two ways of 
doing, you know, scalability on the main chain right now. You know, we're not talking about Lightning Network or, 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 or you know, off-chain off scalability. Let's talk about, like, on-chain scalability. So the most two famous ways right now to solve scalability, one of them is called having fewer nodes to reach consensus, which is deep house, right? You, instead of having 100 kids, you have two PhD, right, or three PhD. The other way of doing this is sharding or DAC, which a lot of people are talking about, right? So in either sharding or DAC, uh, in, in, in like a very straightforward, you know, describing it, it means handling things in parallel. It means partitioning the network and handling things in parallel, right? So we used to have 100 kids here. Instead of, you know, having them do one question, right, we do 33 together. So three three kids a group, you know, one of them has four, but three kids a group, then uh, we basically figure it out. It sounds amazing, it sounds great. It sounds like the most obvious way for scalability. But the problem here is that sharding is not a new term. It's not a new term that, that was born because of blockchain. Sharding was a term comes from distributed system long time ago, right? Here today, mm. here today, there's no clear way that we can securely support smart contract because smart contract requires data consistency. While we're doing things in parallel, you know, between groups and groups, the data is not consistent because we're doing multiple things. We're doing different things. We're going to have to sync up the data, you know, longer, say like, you know, after a little while, right? But during this time, the data is not consistent. When data is not consistent, you cannot theoretically support smart, complicated smart contract because smart contracts sometimes call the other smart contract. Uh, give you like a not exactly accurate example here, but that's like what it what it basically looks like. It's like say like you have ten variables here. You know, group A thinks variable A equals to five. Group B thinks it's seven. Group C thinks it's like nine or whatever. You can't you can work together on a, on a complicated smart contract while supporting that security because you have multiple groups. And there's also very severe security reasons as well. That's why until today, although Ethereum been talking about sharding since 2015, there's little progress being made. Now they're looking at Plasma, a lot of other stuff, right? Um, so for us, sure. although we're working on sharding as well, sharding is more like a long-term goal, right? So POB works seamlessly with, with sharding, but the mainnet launch is not dependent on sharding, right? Otherwise, it's going to take forever. It's going to take years. But as for POB, back to the story here, how are we going to solve this kind of bit of here? So we basically said, you know, the other path, the handling things in parallel is going to work seamlessly with, with POB in the future. So, but how we're doing this right now, the only path left to us is having smaller, a, a smaller group of nodes reaching consensus, right? But we really don't like the way EOS is handling it. Instead of having like, you know, having, so hand select, so like 100 people here based on their reputation or their committee, which is all like human decided. There were a lot of manipulation whatsoever. You know, we want to have something that's mm. more, that's more fair, that's more decentralized. So how are we gonna do it here? Very straightforward. Every single time, at a specific time, at a specific second, everyone's reputation is always different. So in the whole network, say we have like 5,000 nodes in, in total, right? We can always select okay. the top 10 nodes with higher reputation to actually reach consensus right now. So instead of having, say, five, 10,000 nodes reaching consensus, we can always have a few hundred of them reaching consensus because you know they have a high reputation. And that group is always rotating. So unlike the US, we, we, we should have 21 super nodes for a long ass time, right? Like although they said, you know, some of them will eventually fade out and new people come in. But in general, you know, a node will stay there for a long, for, for, for like a long time. 
And that exposed a lot of issues here, say like the DDoS attack or, or whatever, because you know exactly who are going to be generating the bug. But for us, this is going to be like a dynamic group. It's going to be a larger group than EOS, and it's going to be a dynamic group. So, you know, it's like, Mike, although you are, you know, in the consensus group right now, right? After a little while, you're not anymore, right? So it's like a, it's, it, so it's like a dynamic changing group while we're maintaining a smaller group than the whole network. So in this way, you know, if you look at our testnet, we were able to get, you know, at least EOS performance, if not even faster, while being a lot more decentralized and a lot more dev-friendly. So that's what we're trying to do at POB. Yeah. Hey, it's Pete. I'm off screen here. So one of the things that the EOS uh, DPoS system has resulted in is we have a lot of these block producer candidates who are becoming heavily involved in the community and development and things like that, obviously because they want votes, right? How does IOST hope to really spur the community? Are you just hoping to have many, many more uh, smaller entities? Or like, what, what kind of initiatives do you have to really build those uh, big community players? Uh, we're not looking forward to just having like, you know, 21 or whatever nodes here that are controlling the whole thing. Uh, we are going to have smaller entities, right? So for us, basically, we're going to involve a lot more smaller entities. And this will be ho ho hopefully the groups of people that are hosting the LSC nodes. And uh, in, I think right now it's, it's like August already, but um, uh, in about three months, uh, we're going to launch our, uh, I would say, our campaign. Uh, to actually have those entities to actually run for the nodes. And it's going to be different than Deep House. It's, more, it's, it's not exactly like the U.S. campaign. Um, but uh, you guys are going to hear about it in about two or three months. Uh, we're still trying to figure it out and we're still designing it. It's going to be something creative, something nice, uh, hopefully something more fair because I, we think that during the U.S. campaign there were way too many you know, human factors that's in fact, I mean, I mean, that's on top of the whole campaign, right? It's like a lot of them were decided by humans and not in like a very fair way, which by the you know general community voting or you know on chain governance or things like that. So we want it to be more uh, more like a uh, more like a colder technology based thing instead of like a like a constitution type of stuff. You know, yeah. Mm, okay. So so what does the IOST community look like today, both from a, uh, a user standpoint and how you guys are kind of measuring that, but then also from a from an application standpoint, you know, that we, we kind of started getting into before we talked about the, the POB proof of believability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, in terms of, you know, two types of communities here, you know, I think that's, that, I mean, that speaks for every single blockchain project. You have a lot of people that are caring about your project. They care about it either because of the price or because of whatsoever, right? A lot of people care about it because they're traders. Um, in terms of that, we have a lot of people mm. here. If you, look, if you look at a Twitter, we have more than 20,000 20, followers. Uh, in terms of, so on the other side, in terms of the developer community and, and, and a lot of other stuff, we got started basically about a month ago because the testnet just got launched a month ago. Before that, there was, I mean, there was not much we can do, right? I mean, we, 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 we can be talking to developers, be like, hey, develop something here. There's, you know, everything's not done yet, but just develop something here. It, I mean, it, it, it doesn't work like that, right? So we have to build the testnet first, then we do that. So right now we just got started. Uh, we've got a lot of developers here already at the community. We've got actually emails every single day, you know, talking to us about how to actually work on different things. There were developers that are trying to help us with the development of OST, and there were there were also other groups of people that are trying to figure out, you know, how to set up the apps or or how to set up things for OST. Um, back to the story, you know, I, I was talking about 
you know, we also launched this project called Theseus, which is like an organization or like the app incubator. Uh, we did this with uh, Sequoia Capital and a bunch of other top tier VCs. And the only purpose for this is actually to, wow. encourage, to encourage developers to uh, launch and build the apps on top of iOS. Uh, we're going to, you know, fund them and we're going to help them out. And at the same time, you know, we are going to have an internal team on basically on the inside, all right? And, and we are going to build things for iOS. By the time we ship out the Manite, we want it to be, you know, Windows with Microsoft Office, with Internet Explorer, you know, with some other stuff which you can use directly. And we want something that can be mass adopted. So, and in the same time, you know, we are also uh, uh, building like a, a protocol on top of iOS right now. Uh, we're working closely with the team in New York City and, uh, you know, they are going to help us build a, build, a, build a protocol where we're bringing like really famous and big name VCs and, and, and exchanges for them. Uh, it's not disclosed yet, um, but hopefully, you know, this is going to be one of the first protocols that can actually be used by a lot of people. Uh, it's more like, it's like a data governance protocol, but it's like a very super, super useful thing. People can launch a lot of softwares and apps on top of it. So, you know, we're doing multiple things here. I think in, 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 in short, uh, we take the whole ecosystem very, you know, seriously. I think that's everything, you know, yeah. right now the whole blockchain market is highly speculative because there's nothing there, right? Like you don't see the real use case. You don't see the real value other than Bitcoin. So uh, yeah. we want to change that. We really do. You know, we think, you know, having a technology, you're, you're, I mean, your technology matters for sure. Your technology is a fundamental that people can build things on top of it. But in today's world, everything's open source, you know, especially in the blockchain world, everything's open source. It's evolving really fast. You know, what's beyond the technology is that people actually have to use your thing. If nobody's using it, if, 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 if there's no real use case, you know, it, it doesn't matter what kind of technology you have. It just doesn't matter. Right, yeah, you guys have been consistent with this message. I saw your tweet last week. It ended with uh, people shouldn't need to be tech savvy to use a blockchain-based yes. product. And that's something we will figure out with IOST and protocols on top of it. Yep. So uh, you're, you're talking a lot about the ecosystem and development and apps and protocols. Are there any specifics you can tell us about, like maybe a couple of, of dApps that you're really excited about that will help us figure this yeah, out? Yeah, yeah, so... Uh Let's talk about this protocol. Uh, there are a lot of DS that are still, you know, in the process of developing, and uh, we're not exactly supposed to talk about them. But this protocol is fine. So um, we're working on this protocol. The protocol is called Burb, spelled as B-R-M, uh, which we're working internally and also with the team in Manhattan, New York City. Uh, so this is going to be a protocol about data governance, right? And uh, basically, uh, we're not going to talk too much about technology here, but I'll tell you what people can build on top of this protocol. So basically, you know, people can build a lot of things, either like news app. Or, you know, some other, uh, you know, I'm not sure if you guys have heard of, uh, you know, right. So right now, all the news aggregators in the United States, they're basically, you know, or in some other English countries, they're basically relatively centralized, right? Like either Apple News or Yahoo News or whatever. Or you just visit like CNN's website, yeah. visit like CNBC's website, visit like TechCrunch website. They're all fully centralized. And they're all fully centralized by the other, by the other entities. So on top of this sure. governance protocol, you can do a lot of things. Uh, news as one of the aspects is very interesting as well. So basically, people can build decentralized news aggregators on top of the uh, on top of the protocol, uh, meaning that you know you while you're reading stuff, right? Your own um, like 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 your the way you rate 
while, while also in a way affect other people's like reading stuff, right? Like it's basically like, it's like a huge database which where, where we have a lot of information. Oh, wow. And basically, you know, uh, people's like uh, people's habit of reading what kind of affect each other. And in multiple ways, we have like a very complicated way. The white papers are only out. It's like underneath, underneath like a stealth mode right now. Um, but after it's only out, you're going to see this on, on, their, on their website that um, they have like very smart ways of doing data governance and also guarantee like news, neutra- uh, news neutrality while giving like smaller media a chance of, you know, kind of out the fighting, but getting getting a chance to, you know, talk about their, their stuff. Because right now it's like, especially in the English world, it's really hard to notice like smaller media, like all like your day-to-day news is occupied by all these big guys, right? So we want to figure out a way right. to ensure fairness. I want to figure out a way to ensure news neutrality. We want to figure out a way to give smaller media a chance to talk about their stuff. And at the same time, you know, we have a talking economy to incentivize growth and stuff. Oh, we did a demo. We did a very interesting demo. Uh, it's like a, it's, it's, so, 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 so it's like an information thing for blockchain on top of the, the uh, testnet of the protocol already, uh, we, we were able to get almost like 300,000 users within two weeks. Uh, right now, I think we're looking at like half a million. Wow. So uh, it's very interesting, right? And on top of the protocol, we're gonna have like hybrid apps. So we have this concept called HF app. Uh, hybrid app is something that we think is gonna be the next stage for blockchain where we build things that are fully decentralized on the infrastructure and protocol li- uh, and the protocol layer while being you know half centralized on the application layer so people can still use them on the iOS, on your iPhone, on your Android phone, on your computer, instead of you know uh, using this, you know, in your Chrome, downloading MetaMask or downloading some complicated software and have to understand how transaction, how token works. You don't need to understand all of that. You just use like a day-to-day, it's like it's like a normal app, right? Like you don't need to know anything huh. about it. The only thing you need to know is that the backbone, the, the actual database of this app comes from a decentralized protocol built on top of decentralized infrastructure. And I think that's going to be something we're looking forward to um, in the near future. And we're going to make it happen. And that's you're calling that a hybrid app yeah. or a app? We call them a app. We call them HAPP, a hybrid app, okay. uh, which, you know, the protocol layer, the database of it is fully decentralized, but the front, the front end of it is basically centralized. So you can still use it you know, out of your phone, right? Because right now, like, 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 you can't do that right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, we've been bullish on a handful of different protocols in the office and, and usability, uh, now that scalability is getting closer to being solved, usability is still far and away, uh, a huge problem. If, if not the biggest problem it's in, not you know, in, in cryptocurrency. Not so usable. yeah, that's, that's tough, man. Um, so, you know, all in all, just to kind of, kind of recap for people, right? So, so IOST is, uh, you know, in, in a lot of ways, a competitor to an Ethereum or an EOS or some of these other, uh, you know, protocols out there. Uh, but it's, it's doing so, uh, through proof of believability, right? Where essentially, uh, the way that those who control the network, essentially, IE, you know, uh, the nodes or those, you know, producing the blocks is not determined, say, by how much money you have. Right. It's obviously determined by, uh, but by what you're actually putting forth to IOST, right? The, I love the, the grandma metaphor cause that's, that's, it's perfect. Uh, but yeah, so, so in kind of moving forward and, uh, where IOST is now, I know you said, uh, the test net has launched, 
um, and you're on, you know, you're on pace or ahead of schedule for the main net. What does the rest of 2018 and then early, you know, to mid 2019 look uh, for IOST? Yep. So a few things we're doing here. The reason that we have a longer gap between the testnet and the mainnet is because we want to launch something meaningful, and we don't want to, you know, be another US. We don't want to be another, you know, project that hosts their nodes on their own server. Um, uh, you know, I think in general, you know, after launching the mainnet, a lot of problems will be harder to fix. You know, as you know that, you know, there could be multiple governance issues when you're fixing a serious bug. Uh, Ethereum, you know, already was. Forked, right, because of the whole DAO thing, there was Ethereum Classic and, 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 and Ethereum. So, in general, we're trying to prevent more issues before we launch the net, and that's why we have a even like a six month time period of trying to debug and trying to you know make improvements. So, in terms of the next few months, multiple things we're doing here, obviously ecosystem as well, and uh, we're gonna do the other two things which are really our focus here. One of them is that we're gonna launch two more versions of testnet, and then we're gonna evolve like more developers from the community to join us to actually figure out what's going on. We're, we're working with multiple companies uh, and, and multiple other developers to figure out, you know, uh, if, if, if there's any bug, if there's any improvement we can make, uh, we're trying to, you know, try just in general make it better, right, before the mainnet. So two more testnet than mainnet, um, and then definitely by, you know, beginning of 2019, but hopefully end of this year, uh, testnet will come in, I think, next month. Uh, so, so September, there will be a different version. Uh, so other than develop stuff, the ecosystem thing for sure, we'll keep doing this. And then besides those two, uh, we're also going to have, we're, 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 so we're going to raise more awareness, right? So in the past few months, we've been spending a lot of time on um, developing, on um, building things. Uh, a lot of people were still not clear of, you know, what LSD is. So we're going to try to raise more awareness, raise more, you know, awareness among developers, especially, uh, you know, basically make more people interested in LSD. Uh, so we're going to update our web paper, update our website. Uh, we should do that like a, like a long time ago. The website been, hasn't been updated for ages. A lot of information there were updated. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like basically all the information there was updated. So that's actually kind of our fault. But uh, we're going to do that. We're too busy to do that, but, but, but we're going to do that soon. Sure. Uh, we're going to make it a lot more sexy, uh, try to update, try to update <laughs> our paper, and basically yeah, you know, talk to more developers, talk to more people, let the community know that we are building a more decentralized, more developer-friendly US. Uh, we are going to be, you know, one of the most competitive players, uh, you know, by the end of 2018. Uh, and you know, that's it. So nice. Where are you guys based, and how big is your team? Uh, well, that's a that's a good good question. So uh, haven't talked about the team. <laughs> We have a lot of people right now. We have almost like 70 people uh, right now uh, for IOST. Uh, where we're based? Okay, I'm. I'm right now. I'm in Korea. Uh, I was in Beijing, and I'm going to San Francisco in two weeks. So we have about 30 people in the United States, uh, New York City, and also mm -hmm. San Francisco. And uh, we have another. We have another 30, uh, 20 something in China, and uh, we have like eight folks here in Korea. We have like two guys in Tokyo. Uh, two in Germany and uh, three in Singapore. So uh, that's you know how we're distributing the team. So everywhere, we're based everywhere. And uh, nice. <laughs> in terms of developers, you know most of the developers there. So we have some PhDs that are based in the United States, and we have a lot of you know uh, the ACM gold medalist, the the genius, right? I mean those are the uh, Olympia winners <laughs> for for computer science, obviously, not for weightlifting. So <laughs> yeah, they uh, well, <laughs> yeah. We have some folks like that in China as well. 
Wow. Um, in the developer team, we have like almost 20 people right now, like 20 folks, because it's more like a, a, a researching thing for blockchain instead of like executing. So you don't need like a million people uh, working mm. on that. I think back then the core developer for uh, Ethereum, they have like less than 15 or 20-ish. So it's a good size. Mm. Um, and the rest of the folks, they're either working on the ecosystem, like, you know, we're building our own consensus as well. Uh, it's called Blue Hill. That's going to be our, our consensus. It's like consensus for Ethereum. We have Blue Hill for IOST. Uh, it's going to be focusing on PR, marketing, uh, the app, a lot of other things for IOST. So uh, that's the rest of 50 guys. That's what they're doing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. In- incredibly exciting. That's uh, that's something that I think a lot of, uh, you know, kind of the more experienced cryptocurrency folks in the space will be excited to hear. Um, you know, IOST, as, as you said, you guys have had your heads down. You've, you've been working on all the problems that exist with a lot of these other protocols. So uh, excited to see you guys kind of kind of get out there and, and gain some more awareness for, for this awesome new project that, uh, you know, obviously you guys are very passionate about and, and have been working on for some time. Um, yeah. Question for you here. Uh, this is one that we pose to a lot of our different guests. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, you can lend some some context based on I, you know, your experience with IOST or whatever the case, but, um, you know, we, we at ICO Alert, we're obviously day in and day out ICOs, STOs, airdrops, things like this. So, uh, what did IOST do to raise money? Did you guys run an ICO at, or, or, you know, airdrop or what did you do? Yep. And where do you see, uh, the, this, you know, token based fundraising model that exists across ICOs, STOs, airdrops, where do you see that going in the future? Okay, so um, before we talk about what IOST did, if you look at the project that were launched a long time ago, like US or like you know Ethereum, actually US was kind of recently, but more like Ethereum or so, you 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 will see that most of them were founded by like you know a public ICO, right? So meaning that the community putting money, uh, there were a lot of investors. But if you look at recent projects, because of multiple reasons that. You know, they have like different rounds. Some people, they have like private sales, things like that, right? Um, back yep. then, when, when, when we were started, uh, which is, you know, end of 2017, uh, that the regulatory risk is higher than what it is today because it was like the early, it was like the unclear, it was, and if, if you actually got started super early, like before September 2017, um, the government or, you know, people in general, they didn't give a shit about blockchain yet, so you were fine. But the most awkward time period, I would say, was from September 2017 to, I would say, like February or March 2018. Those were the time period where everyone, especially the governments or the policy, they were very picky or there were a lot of regulatory risks regarding ICO in every single country, in literally like every single like big country, right? In Korea, in China, United States, in everywhere. Uh, I mean, as long as you're not doing this in, I don't know, in Malta, you were probably, you know, there was probably some reg- uh, there were probably some risks there. Sure. So, um, for us, we basically, we didn't do any public ICO, right? Uh, we did an airdrop for sure, just to basically give, you know, the community more awareness, let them know who we are. Uh, but we, we didn't really right. launch public ICO, not because we didn't want to do it, simply because the regulatory risk was unclear back then. So we were basically forced to do this among institutional investors. So there were 30 hmm. class institutional investors involved your fundraising. I want to see raised forty million dollars in total. Uh, our investors include, you know, Sequoia Capital, Matrix Partners, Gen Fund, and a bunch of other uh, crypto fund as well. Um, so there were like more than thirty of them, 
And, uh, you know, basically that's what happened for our foundation. If you look at all the projects right now, I, I think what a, what a, what a, a popular pattern right now uh, is to raise like multiple rounds, right? You raise, right. You, you, like, you raise your first round from say Coinbase or Andreessen or Sequoia, whatever, and you raise your second round, then your third round, then you have a public sale. And, you know, it could take a longer time than what it used to take for fundraising right now. Especially, I think, um, in this year, if you, I mean, everyone knows that this year is more like a bearish market. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the market is being like this. <laughs> so there were up and downs, but even more, 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 way more downs than ups. So That's for I, sure. So it's also harder to raise money for a lot of crypto projects right now. People are more, I would say, rational, more, uh, more reasonable these days. Uh, the investors, they think more than you know what they used to think in 2017. Because in 2017, the hype was like crazy. And literally, mm-hmm. like as long as you don't invest in a scam, uh, you're gonna make money, you know? So, so but it's not the case. Yep. It's not the case anymore, right? Like right now, if you look at a lot of projects, they got listed on exchange and they're, they're real hard. And a lot of their early investors started to lose money. Uh, start to lose money. So uh, people are more, more cautious. So I think in the future, um, uh, the fundraising of you know, any token project will get closer to what it was, like a traditional startup, where instead of raising everything all together, Instead of just having this like massive like public sale at a super early stage, you're gonna have to do this round by round. So at first you're like mm-hmm. a cheaper project. Like to be honest, it like doesn't make any fucking sense to have a angel round project <laughs> to be valued at twenty million dollars. You know, like it just like like it doesn't make uh-huh. any sense anyway. So maybe you just start with like ten million dollars, twenty million dollar cap before you have anything, right? Bring in a few valuable investors, build out your things. Then eventually, after you think it's promising, you have a bigger cap, you have a higher valuation. Then you either raise from the public, you raise from more private private investors, um, things like that. You know, I think that's going to be the way of doing this, and, and I think that's going to um, meet the uh, the regulatory thing as well. That I think right now, if you're raising in the United States, I don't think you can do a public ICO without you know doing super strict KYC, making sure your investors are credited. Um, a lot of things you have to do, but I think that's a good thing, you know. Like, yeah. like, 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 the only way for the market to actually take off is, you know, either you know we build more real applications, or you know there were you know institutions and money pouring into the market, and without a better regulatory system, uh, the institution money will never come in. So I think this is a good thing, in general. Yeah, I, I I would agree. I was talking to um, a, a crypto fund manager who's actually based out of Pittsburgh as well uh, a bit earlier today, and and posed the same question. And uh, when it came to valuation and and how they're getting at that, it, it, his response was very much the same. It was like no one has any idea, and they all know that they don't have any idea about why you know a, a brand new software company can raise twenty or fifty or hundred or five hundred million dollars with with some form or some version of a product, but certainly not the full product with adoption and, and you know everything yep. that you would see in, in the traditional VC space or you know uh, a company running an IPO if you want to go all the you know all the way there. So it it seems to me that we're still although we're conquering the infrastructure stage of things where everything has to be scalable, right? Like because if you if you build a DAP 
and it's not scalable, it doesn't matter whether you have adoption or not. So we're getting there. I don't think that's done yet, but we're certainly getting there with the helps, you know, the help of projects like IOST and others. Um, but it seems to me that there's still very much a gold rush mindset, whether it's from retail investors or institutional investors, to say, uh, we don't know what these things are valued at, but we want the best chance possible to get to the finish line. And a lot of times for startups, that simply means who can outlast the next, who can get to uh, the starting line even first. And if 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 the one kind of baseline factor is money, then we're gonna we're gonna still see that money pour in. It might not be stupid money anymore from you know, uh, unknowledgeable brand new retail investors, but, uh, it still might be that gold rush, uh, smart money from your, your accredited investors. So, yep. yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting space right now for sure. Um, you know, really, really excited to see projects like yours come out, not just say everything about the ICO or the S2O or whatever, and, and, and strictly focus on raising money, but focus rather on the problems that exist in the space today with the protocols that are out there, right? How do we solve those problems? Let's focus there first, right? And then worry about uh, what exchanges we're hitting or, or, you know, whatever the case may be. So for, for those that are listening today and those that will listen, you know, in the future, uh, what's the best way to, to kind of join the IOST train? How, how can they get in touch with you and your team moving forward? Yeah, so uh, first of all, you should follow Twitter. Uh, it's called iOS Token. Uh, we publish basically everything on top of our, our, our Twitter accounts. And to get in touch with us, you know, you can always email us. Uh, my personal email is jimmy at iost.io. So, you know, reach out if you have any other questions. Just don't ask me about the price. Nice. Uh, I'll be very nice. <laughs> I can't I can predict the price for sure. It's like not ethical. It's not doable as well. So um, just let us know uh, if you have any other DJ questions, uh, we try to reply to all the emails. Sometimes it take a little while, uh, like a few days, but um, in, in, in the end we sure. do. So, uh, and on, on the other side, you know, uh, just stay tuned. Our, you know, Medium, Twitter, Telegram group or, or whatever. Uh, also right now, oh, we have a community hub uh, set up a few weeks ago. If you go to like uh, hub.ilc.io, you can sign up there and uh, in the future. So we're going to start to publish our own thing in the ILC hub. Fantastic. Well, that's awesome. Listen, I know uh, I know you're a busy guy. You got a lot going on. You got a huge team uh, and and a lot of uh, you know promising potential for for 2018 and 2019. So we won't uh, keep you much longer here. Want to want to let you go. So appreciate the time today, <laughs> everybody. Make sure make sure you follow uh, IOST. Follow all the developments uh, and a lot of the the new exciting uh, developments coming from this new protocol. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Mike. Appreciate that. All right. Thanks, thanks Jimmy. Jimmy. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye.